Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Khan, and I talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business without burning out. This episode is called The Power of the Niche. Let's get started. If you would have found a company that makes and sells beer today, you would probably start a craft brewery. You'd start a small operation, find the people who enjoy your product, and slowly expand your business. You would not try to compete with Bud Light and Heineken for shelf space. You would prefer to provide a unique product to a small, specialized segment of the beer drinking population. The craft beer enthusiasts would be your target audience. You would start in a niche. For your bootstrap business, niching down is an integral part of the journey. In a niche, you'll encounter less competition, your customers will be very similar, and your marketing and sales activities can be turned into repeatable processes quite easily. So what makes a niche interesting for a bootstrapper? What is it about niche customers that you can leverage to create a sustainable business? How deep do you niche down to find a good audience? Today, I'll explain what niches are, how they work, and how to make them work for your business. So what's in a niche? When we speak of niches in business, we always talk about smaller segments of a larger population. We're looking for a specific subset of a more general group of people. The kind of specificity can vary wildly. Sometimes we look for immutable things like age or gender niches. Other times, the specifics we're interested in are in fluid things like preferences or experience levels. Some niches can be large enough to contain millions of people, and others might just contain a handful of individuals. What unites all niches is that they are inclusive of some and exclusive of others. The members of the in-group will be reasonably similar, depending on the specificity of the niche. That's why niches work so well for bootstrap businesses. If you provide a tool that solves a niche problem very well, you can be sure that everyone in the niche will be interested in it. Selling to a niche is very different from selling to the general public. If we go back to the example of the beer industry, you'll see that Anheuser-Busch, InBev, the makers of Bud Light, spends more than $1.5 billion every year on marketing. They do that because they need to be present in the mind of every single shopper when they think of getting a beer. For a small craft beer company, this kind of marketing expense is impossibly high, and it would be a waste. They would show their product to millions of people, but only a fraction of them would even consider drinking a non-mainstream beer. Niche businesses are better off spending much less money in much more directed ways. A craft beer company would put up flyers in a local pub that is serving lots of craft beers or allocate a budget to exhibiting at beer fairs or become part of partner of modern apps that are for craft beer aficionados. A niche business will market to the niche and no one else. So who's in a niche? What makes niche populations unique? The way I see it, they're mostly homogenous, often tribal, and allow for much more better measurement and planning than huge non-specific audiences. Niche populations are homogenous. If you filter a large group of people by several specific properties, you'll end up with an audience that shares those properties. As a result, these people will also share many other things that can make building products and selling them very convenient. People in your niche will likely have the same problems. 
if they love fantasy football, they all need to keep track of their teams. If they enjoy fly fishing, they all need to find information on where to fish or how the weather will impact the chances of a catch. If you spend enough time investigating the problems of your niche, you'll sooner or later surface the critical problems. These are the things that are common roadblocks to everybody in the niche. Solving that problem with a dedicated product will allow you to have a high chance of success with your bootstrap business. People in a niche will also share very similar goals and aspirations. People who love knitting will want to make beautiful pieces of clothing. Craft beer fans want to find and drink the best and most exciting beers in the area. And recruiters want to recruit as many well-fitting candidates as possible. From a goal like this, you can usually infer a problem that's in the way of your customer's path to success. Solve that problem, and you can help everyone in the niche reach their goals. People in your niche will also speak the same language in a metaphorical way. While many niches are globally distributed, the people in them will all share a common understanding of what matters to them. Dungeons and Dragons fans will know what a D20 is, and woodworking aficionados will have no trouble understanding why you'd prefer alternate top bevel over flat top grind saw blades for clean cut, for example. In your marketing communication, you can assume that everyone in the niche has specific knowledge that you can build on. Not only does this allow you to be precise in your communication, but it will also show that you know what you're talking about, that you're one of them. That's because niche populations are often tribal. This brings us to another fundamental property of niche populations. They're organized in a tribal way. Seth Godin wrote a book called Tribes, in which he describes a tribe as a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. That sure sounds like a niche audience. This interconnected group of people looking for leadership can be a godsend for your business. You can either leverage existing leaders in the community, which you're usually called influencers. Alternatively, you can become a tribe leader yourself. There's room for a lot of leaders in most niche tribes. In such a position, you're regarded as an expert who also offers a product specifically designed for the members of the tribe. This position makes selling significantly easier than hoping for random strangers to see your product and buy it on a store shelf. People derive their identity from belonging to a tribe. If you can place your business in a way that makes your product a thing that what people in our tribe do, then you can have a guaranteed sales funnel for as long as your niche exists. Niche populations are measurable. In niches, you can find out the numbers much more easily than in more general populations. If you're trying to find out how many potential customers you have, It'll be much easier if you're a craft brewery that has advertisements running in 10 local pubs. Figuring out how many patrons they can reach will require a few evenings of counting people in those places. For Anheuser-Busch InBev, it's an entirely different story. For them, every human on earth who likes beer is a potential customer, but the chances of them buying are hard to calculate, and so is the effectiveness of a massive billboard campaign in hundreds of cities. With large populations, measuring is a hit or miss activity as everyone is competing for attention. Within a niche, you can expect much more engagement from your potential customers as soon as they are exposed to your content. The better you define your niche market, the more confident you can be in your numbers. People who like fantasy football might be a vague definition that doesn't give you much to work with. 
But people who locked into one of the three most popular fantasy football websites over the last three months will yield much more actionable numbers. At best, you'll get numbers that allow you to validate a viable audience for your bootstrap business. Not too small and not too big. Let's talk about the ins and outs of a niche. An interesting perspective on niches is that you can also look at what a niche does not contain. By defining things that you don't expect to see in your niche, you have access to exclusionary filtering as well. Once you know what you don't have to care about in your niche, you have the means to deal with the inevitable noise that you'll find in every market, no matter how well-defined your audience is. There always will be misfits and contrarian voices. By knowing what you can ignore, your focus will be on the things that matter most to the most substantial part of your niche. Let's look at the opportunities of a niche. With niche audiences being homogenous, tribal, and measurable, you have several opportunities to help your bootstrap business succeed. First one is low-cost marketing. Shared interests will allow you to speak to the needs of your niche audience directly. Creating content that has a lot of impact and will be read by a lot of people will be much easier as there's less competition for your audience's attention. More generic markets might be saturated with content, but inside a niche community, people will always be eager to learn more about their area of expertise. Targeted advertisements works very well for niches too. As pay-per-click costs are lower for many niche terms, your ad campaigns will be much more cost-effective than if you were to target a more generic term. The more specifically you can define your audience, the more effective your campaign. This also extends to traditional media of communication. If your niche audience is fond of, for example, reading industry magazines, a print advertisement might put you in front of hundreds of thousands of readers who would be hard to reach using digital ads. Partnerships in niches become a much more lucrative endeavor. Additional exposure and reach results in quick win-win situations where both partners can significantly boost both of their customer base and their reputation as an expert in the niche. Partnering up with other players in the niche also allows you to reach customers at different stages of niche proficiency, I guess, instead of the, uh, increasing the, the breadth of your sales funnel. If you lead a tribe, you'll eventually, it'll eventually do the marketing for you. A large following will amplify your messages with a lot of reach, giving you credibility and encouraging newcomers to come become customers so they can belong to the tribe. At Feedback Panda, Danielle started a tribe around her thought leadership in the field of online teaching. She became an advocate for the needs of these teachers, and they follow her actively in social media, engaging in conversations, spreading the word, and best of all, even defending the company when the product um, and the product against people who dismissed and publicly disliked it. That's the power of a tribe. What a mouth marketing is another effect of using tribal structures in a niche. If you give people the opportunity to share your content and messages with other tribe members, they will. The interconnected nature of tribes facilitates this rapid exchange of information, and if you leverage those channels, your product will sell itself. At Feedback Panda, I took one well-placed Facebook comment to start an avalanche of word-of-mouth referrals that lasted for years. That was really all we did. We didn't even put a post on Facebook into these groups that we were already part of, we just commented on a post that was asking for a solution to the problem with the feedback. And it just like snowballed from there. 
Now that we're talking about referrals, if you're in a niche with a healthy and active tribe, you'll have success with customer referral programs too. The effects of the referrals will depend on the shareability of your product. Some products will make easier to be sure will be easier to share, mostly network effect-driven collaboration tools, where a new user will add value to the network for everybody involved. Other products won't be as easy to share, like a tool that makes a recruiter friend by the leads. People probably don't want to have their competing recruiters use the tool as well. So if they lose edge, that's a problem. If your product is shareable, spend time on creating a referral system early in the life of your business, but make sure your product is stable enough to handle it. If it's not shareable, defer this kind of system until you have exhausted better, more effective marketing techniques. Niche influencers are usually perceived as much more professional public personas than the more general kind of celebrity influencer. Most niche influencers are experts in their fields, and what they talk about positively um, gains credibility. Their following consists mostly of other members of the niche, making them an excellent candidate for spreading your message. Luckily, these influencers are also much cheaper to partner with than the prominent super influencers you encounter on Instagram. Often, they're not even aware of their influence, so you know, they might not even see it as a monetizable activity. While I recommend you still offer them reasonable compensation, so pay them, you can approach niche influencers as potential partners instead of just seeing them as a marketing channel. So it can be a win-win situation, them building their brand and you getting exposure. Another important part is that differentiation in a niche is easy. It's easy to build a unique and differentiated product when the landscape of competitors around you and the competitive alternatives is clear and uncluttered. Fewer competitors means more potential differentiation vectors. You can stand out much more by providing a service that is not yet offered in the niche. Analyze your competitors for what they do well and what they don't when you do your market research. If you've done your problem validation right, you'll see gaps in the market that are not yet served. Build your products around those gaps and look into partnering with your competitors to expand each other's customer base. Look for... Look out for non-competitor competitive alternatives. The things that people use instead of using an actual product. That can be post-it notes, an Excel sheet that doesn't involve numbers, anything that is a general tool applied to a specific problem. That's where you can find your critical problems and that's where you can serve your niche best. So the only remaining question is, how deep do I need to niche down? In reality, this will depend on the size and the quality of the initial group of people you niche down from. The more specific you get, the smaller your audience will be in scale. Like in machine learning, you run the risk of overfitting your niche. You might get too specific. There might be a few hundred Star Trek fans that live in the New Orleans area and love to eat quinoa, but that won't sustain a bootstrap business, so you can go way too far in niching down. In general, a good niche size will allow you to allow you room to grow your to your MRR goal and still leave space for a few competitors. To determine the size of your audience, you'll need to do some research and your target size should be small enough not to invite large competitors and big enough to sustain your business. If it's too generic, niche down by being more specific in who you want to serve. If there are too few prospects, niche up by loosening the requirements for someone to fit into the niche. 
a good niche will allow you to build a product that solves one problem well. In the best case, this will be the critical problem of everybody in the niche, and it'll solve it well enough for your customers to tell everybody they know. Building a tribe in a good niche will allow your product to sell itself. So that's the article. Let me add a couple things. For Feedback Panda, we selected an extremely well-defined niche. We talked about this at MicroConf Europe in Dubrovnik in uh, late 2019. We had a slide up that said, this is our niche. And then we had this, this list of bullet points that would get more and more specific. I think it went like, our niche was teachers who taught English online as a second language, working for Chinese companies, teaching Chinese children between the age of, well, I guess like three and 12 or 16 through the internet, through web-based platforms. I think it was like eight or nine specific things that niche these people down into this very, very specific group. That was the initial niche that we started in. It was big enough for us because um, at that point, the, the biggest company, the biggest Chinese company that would facilitate this kind of uh, teacher-student relationship had already recruited, I think, seven, 8,000 teachers. And we thought that would be interesting to start in because we saw that the Chinese companies were growing like crazy. And so were their recruitment efforts. A year in, I think there were 20,000 people, 20,000 teachers that they had recruited. And a year later, I think it was 75,000 that they claimed to have recruited. So the, the market that we were serving was growing substantially. We knew that because we knew that this industry was just emerging. And we knew that our niche would also grow to a veritable size, but not big enough for people to find it so interesting to actually compete with our product. And that really helped. Like for the longest time, we had zero competition when it comes to paid products. And I want to point out another thing because that's also what I wrote about and what I just talked about. There's a difference between competition and competitive alternatives. April Dunford writes about this and talks about this in her content and books on positioning. But it's very important to understand that a post-it note is a competitor or at least a competitive alternative to what you're offering. If people can use a sheet of paper and write down stuff and get the job done, that is competition. It is not a competitor in the classical sense, but it is a way of people or a way for people to solve the problem. And if your product, if your service needs to be better than the alternative um, products in the market, Excel and a sheet of paper and post-its are already there. So you need to be at least better than that and to be better than the systems that people have concocted using these kind of these kind of things, these kind of tools. So it's important to understand that if you look at what exists in your niche to find the problems and the existing tools that people use to solve them, don't shy away from having people explain how they do it without using the kinds of technology that you offer. Because there's a lot of insight in understanding how people have currently set up the way 
to solve their problems, particularly in industries that are not as tech-friendly as the ones you may be exposed to. If you're a developer, you might think, oh yeah, well, everybody uses digital tools to solve their problems because that's the way you do it. But it might not be the same for a hairdresser or for a restaurant or for just any particular niche. They might not be aware even that there are solutions to their problems because they might also not be aware that they have problems. They're, the fact that problem awareness is something we expect in a niche, I think is a, yeah, it's, it's wishful thinking. Some, some people and many people are so blinded by the traditional kind of work that they do and just uh, yeah, what they do day to day that they are not aware what they are not aware of, right? The unknown unknowns in niches, they exist. And it's your job as an entrepreneur to find them, to extract them from the information that people give you to then build a product from it. So if you look at a niche and you want to see if it's interesting, figure out what they have not yet figured out. Look for the things that they are not aware of being a problem as well as for the things that they have understood to be a problem. Solutions can come for both, right? You can solve people's problems that they already have, but you can also solve the problems that they have not yet understood they had. That was the case for us at Feedback Panda because most teachers that were teaching a lot, they had already understood that they needed a system for this, that feedback was an actual problem. But some teachers that have just started or that were not, they didn't really care much about it, they were not aware that this was a problem. So then we also needed to educate about this being a problem that we could then solve, add another couple of features, and it's actually useful. So it was very interesting to understand like how problem awareness plays into the potential of a niche. So I think this is enough for talking about the power of the niche. It's definitely powerful, and I recommend if you're not sure if your product is niche down enough, if your audience is specific enough, it likely isn't. Reach out to other founders, talk to them about your audience and what you think um, their niche is that you're currently serving, and just try to sanity check your assumptions there. Because often we are not specific enough in who we serve because we want to be able to expand in the future or we want to be able to serve as many people as possible. But that is not important. What is important is you find the people that have a problem that you solve that is critical to them that are willing to pay for it. You can always take it into a more generic generic direction later. But it's important to start at a point where every single customer you have has the problem you're solving and is clearly aware of it. So that would be it about the power of the niche. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, at A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you subscribe to this podcast. It'll help other founders or founders-to-be find this podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.